and welcome to Yachting Yarns. In this episode, we catch up with Jackie and Noel again after they finish their adventure doing the loop. I asked Jackie what their plans were now that they had finished their adventure in America. It was to do the Pacific Ocean and head back and uh, just have that fun in the the Panama Canal, that experience, uh, which it certainly was, and, you know, enjoy that and enjoy the enjoy the pacific we only had that time uh one season there but it just uh exceeded our expectations on every level and so yeah it was always the plan so you got through the panama canal okay obviously that's just something every sailor's got to face at some stage yeah it is and you know it's made for big boats so it's quite a challenge we're sort of second rate citizens there on a recreational vessel it's very exciting, an experience I absolutely relish. I had family on board and I love the memory of my dad and Noel's brother with us and another crew member. And I remember it vividly, challenge everywhere, but you know, going over a hill in Panama on a boat is, is amazing. <laughs> Everybody seems to be able to get um, a bit of help from locals and pe- people who actually will help you through all the paperwork and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, there's, there's, uh, when we did it, there were sort of three tiers. There was the the uh, absolute budget where you sort of figured it all out yourself and went round in a taxi and did it. There was the the taxi driver managing it, which is the one we did, and he knows where to go and helps you with translations. So it costs a little bit more. And then there's an agent, which costs a lot more. Um, and as people were sort of getting regularly shot in a certain area. You know, they shot tourists now and then. We thought we'd go with a bit of a bodyguard. We, we might, you know, pay a bit extra and have a bit of safety with, you know, a locked car and someone who knows the drill. You just rattled that off. People were getting shot. <laughs> you said that like it was just like, oh, you know, people were getting lost. <laughs> who, who was getting shot? Who was doing the well, shooting? It was, it was just in, in Cologne. It was very, very um, poor areas there and um, not everywhere in there but certain areas we just did not go we were told not to walk anywhere there um, because tourists had been shot there and while we were there there was actually a hold up on a bus and you go on a bus because generally what happens is all the boats recreational boats anchored together and you lock through you help one boat and you go to the other end and then you all bus back to your boat and they help you so there's sort of this lovely system of helping going on and um, so everyone has to go on this bus. And I think some people of uh, maybe a bit of ill repute had heard about this, you know, and figured we've, we've got tons of money. And there was a hold up on a bus. Um, and I can't remember the details exactly. So we were all a bit twitchy about that, you know, sort of. It was a specific area and it had come with some warnings. So we thought a bit of extra protection was a good idea. Sure. So if you're going west... Uh, you yeah. must have gone right around under India and gone up through the sewers to get to um, uh, the Mediterranean. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, sort of quickly, Darwin, Borneo, Thailand, Maldives, and then Oman, Eritrea, and up the Red Sea. While we were at, in Oman, we were with sort of, I don't know, there's probably eight, ten other boats sort of doing that same route. We're all leaving different times, and we... We heard via the radio schedules that a boat had been got by pirates from Oman to Eritrea, which was our next route. You know, we got the 
information. There was uh, there was a catamaran, and they were towing another little sailboat at the time, giving him a hand because he'd run out of fuel or had some problem. And these pirates had come up in very fast boats with rapid fire guns shooting through the rigging, and you know they were on them in an instant, and boarded and knife to the wife's throat, and took all this personal gear off and. Thankfully, they all got away with their lives, but, you know, the boat's been ruined and I can't imagine the, the fear and the emotions of going through that. And they limped into port and eventually, I think, gave it all up. But we were in Oman when we heard this and we were going on that exact same track in a week. Mm. And that kind of makes you a little tense. So we all came up with a plan. We sort of went in groups and it's very difficult to sail together. Boats go different speeds, but you sort of try and agree... We'd go in certain groups. We had a group of five and we all agreed not to use our short range radios, which can be monitored. So we all used our long range radios, even though we were very close. And we had different codes and we figured if one of us was attacked, we'd all, I don't know what we were going to do, pile in, set off flares. We contacted the Navy. Can there be any support in this area? This has been a pirate attack. We're a bit nervous. So we were all like fucking chickens and with the expats in Oman in these bars, you know, ordering extra drinks to calm the nerves. But we also decided to go from Oman to Eritrea and put some extra miles in and go further south. So if you ever look at a map, Oman and Eritrea are similar-ish latitude, but we actually went quite a way down to keep away from that coastline we went a bit south to get away from the land a bit more and maybe be a bit safer and we were we were fine we Noel and I towards the end of it we peeled off because we were the slowest boat but we were going the fastest we were really working ourselves because we thought well the longer we stay in the area the more chance there is of a problem so we just wanted to get through as quick as we can and um so we one one day we saw a boat in the distance and we just sort of turned away from it and put the engine on and put the engine on full power which was ridiculous because if it was you know any boat any motorboat would have been a lot faster than us but it was just fear driven reaction and it was fine but I, I remember just getting the flares out I was going to shoot someone with the flare and I was holding the the winch handle which was heavy I thought I could clock someone with that if I had to <laughs> You are James Bond jumping on boats to retrieve <laughs> retrieve lost bits of stuff overboard and, and pulling oh, out a flare. <laughs> I think I just don't think sometimes. <laughs> I've been to Egypt. I don't know if you stopped at Egypt. Egypt. Egypt is an amazing country. We did. We did. We we called them. This probably isn't very political. Politically correct. We called them the Prince of Thieves, not Egyptians, but the. Um, the agents that check you in, that's what we called them, because they, so when you arrive on a boat, you know, you've got to check in, you've got passports, you've probably got to have visas, but you've got to either have them before or get them when you get there. And it's a bit bit different from landing on a plane. And um, so in Egypt, they, they come on board. And we've just been through a sandstorm. We got into Egypt through this blooming great sand, sand short storm. I felt like I was in the middle of a peach. Everything went peach. You couldn't see a thing. And you're getting sandblasted as you're trying to find the anchorage. And we anchored in, a, and it was then it was gale force winds, and that was pretty exciting, anchoring in a tight anchorage. But anyway, we, we, we got through that, and then they come on board. 
And they sit there and they sort of do the paperwork and then they go, okay, what have you got for me? And we knew this was coming. They want gifts. So you sort of pull out stuff for their wives, so some perfume and some makeup, something you've bought in preparation. But our lot just sort of pushed that aside and went, no, I don't want that. I want mobile phones and computers. Oh, and computers? <laughs> yeah, we're like, well, we don't have any of that. Like, I had an old ratty computer I typed on, but I wasn't going to tell them that. But we, I said, we don't even have a mobile phone. And, they, you know, they didn't believe us. They just think we're super rich. And uh, so it was sort of, you know, it's sort of that sort of area, that sort of culture where the officials do get bribes and you you had to in some areas you had to keep you knew that when you got another check-in in in another town there was a payment actually this happened a few times there was a payment and they actually tell you officially to keep five dollars in your pocket because they'll ask for ten and we don't want you to give them ten we don't want you to give them nothing keep five and just have that in a pocket and show them your pocket's empty apart from that five and then you won't have any trouble so you you pick up this on the grapevine as you go mm. and it and it's also at the end of the the Suez Canal because you have to have a pilot on board and so they come on board so you sort of you know got this complete stranger on board that stays with you for two days at the end you're told to have a packet of cigarettes wrapped up in as much sellotape and wrapping paper as you can put around it, like tons and tons and tons, because what happens is, as soon as they get it, and this is what they do, it's crazy, you're sort of coming to the end, and they hop off the boat, they're picked up as you're underway, so another vessel comes up and picks up their pilot, and off they go, and you're both moving at the time, and they said, throw them the gift, get them off your boat, then throw them the gift if you can. And the last two hours before our pilot got off, he just drove me nuts. Where's my gift? Have you got my gift? Have you got my gift? What's my gift? Where's my gift? And we sort of gave it to him as he was stepping off. And they go mad. They just rip this thing. And they just absolutely tear it apart to see what they've got. If they're on the boat and do that and they're not happy, well, we knew of one boat that got rammed by the pilot boat. um, But they didn't follow the rules. We're told what to give them. We're told to give them not more, not less. Give them this amount of cigarettes, wrap it up well, get them off the boat, then give it to them if you can. You know, sort of tiptoeing through these regulations. But it's kind of managed well, I guess. You sort of know this before you go. Yeah, it's not going to not happen. No, you've, you've got to do it. And, you know, you've just got to negotiate what ate your way through. And you learn all through these kinds of places just to have a certain amount of money. You know, so if someone asks something or if you're in a spot of bother, that, it, it looks like that's all you've got. So it just sort of, you know, they give up after that you sort of open a purse or a pocket and go well you can have this but that's all i've got you can see it's empty after that i can see the psychology if everybody gives them a little bit more by the time the next person comes along they're going to assume they're just going to up the ante all the time and you're going to go i think you're right i got ten dollars from them i should get 15 from you and 20 from the next one and before you know it you're um it's becoming undoable and i think that was the ethos behind it as well um, and we were just grateful to receive that information and mm. it sort of goes smoothly but you sort of mm. by the end of it we were really tired of it because if you've been there you know if you're in Egypt sort of someone helps you they expect money and I can understand it to a degree some people are very poor and we help them where we could but it sort of gets very tiring when you're not used to it you know can you 
I'll help you cross the road. No, I'm okay. But they walk with you and then hold out your hand. And it's like, oh, okay. I was shocked um, at how poor Egypt is because they yeah. have this culture of this pharaoh culture and the, and, the, and the pyramids and the gold and all that. But the country itself is... Um, there's no, there's no social security. If your family can't look after you, you'll just die in the street. And it's also, it's a huge population. Yes. I, I didn't realise there were so many people living in Egypt. You could, you know, and, and they all, they're poor. Yes, that's right. So you tend to sort of try and do what you can, you know. They've probably got, you know, think it more wealthy than we are. And it, it's difficult because, you know, many of the boaters had a much bigger budget than us and, and everything else, when we, we just thought, well, we'll just do what we can. Yeah, obviously spent a bit of time going around the Mediterranean. That would be beautiful. There's so much to see in the Mediterranean. Oh, look, the Mediterranean's beautiful, but it's it's pretty naff sailing, we found, if you're trying to get across it, because there's perpetually easterly blowing winds. and So you're hitting headwinds all the way uh, in the direction we're going, and it was either you know, gale force winds where you sort of hold up and waiting for it to subside on and then it dies down to nothing and then you motor like mad to get to the next spot. But that was just the, the travelling part. But absolutely, we found there's this place in Greece, I won't be able to remember the name, but a tiny little, well, actually it was a fairly moderate-sized anchorage, but it was protected sort of 90% with the land, which we really liked because if any weather came in, we were protected. And, you know, and it hadn't been sort of found yet. There were a couple of little homes um along the front only two or three and a little bar and a tiny tiny community this little bar with like a zillion dollar view and we're sitting at this bar on a veranda overlooking like our boat there might have been one other boat there and you just i just wonder if that's still the same because it was just an idyllic setting and um i don't know these places are just found now and and built this, there must be, you know, not many left. Little hidden gems that eventually do get discovered, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. I think so. They don't but stay secret for very long. No, no, just just wonderful memories. And just walking through little villages where people are growing tomatoes. And I remember stopping at one. And we're just walking along and we just looked at this garden. And I look at these guys, tomatoes, they're amazing. And we were just standing there talking, just admiring them. And he came out and... Yeah, it was a language barrier, but you learn to, you know, communicate in other ways. And he gave us sort of a pile of tomatoes. <laughs> well, it wasn't our intention, but thank you very much. Oh, lovely, lovely. So, yeah. so you kind of wandered around there. You went up and visited family in the UK, and then you you found your way back home again after nine years. Yeah. So, uh, ending in the Pacific Ocean, which uh, was just just beautiful, beautiful people. So that was really just heading west and just doing the Galapagos, Marquises, Tahiti, Atataki, Nui, and so forth. Um, and so the first, like the Galapagos was incredible, you, one of our favourite places. But from Galapagos to Marquises, it's, it's sort of three weeks at sea. And the Pacific was the Pacific for us. It just gave us the most beautiful ride, sort of downwind sailing, the boat was steady, just no dramas, nice and easy. And then you sort of pull into the Marquises and there's just this cliffs and greenest bush you've ever seen. It just looks like a dinosaur is going to come out crashing through at any moment. Um, and, you know, the people, again, very friendly and accommodating, 
very laid back, reminded me to slow down, just enjoy just enjoy the area and be happy with your life. That's what we found with the Pacific Islanders. They're all happy and content. And I think for me, the highlight would have been Atataki, um, the Cook Islands. You get a moped, you know, and they, you, to get a licence, you sort of give someone your first name and $50 and you've got a <laughs> moped licence. I don't know if you've ever sat on one before. Off you go. <laughs> and you're also sort of feuding around this island, meeting locals and... There was a big dance extravaganza there, so local dance, and they all get you up dancing. And we loved it so much, we, we wanted to stay there. We thought, why don't we stay here through one season and, and you know, take a break? And, well, that sounds good. But we went into the official office. And it was a tiny little anchorage area. Only four boats could get in at a time. And we sort of went to the office there, and they said, well... And we sort of went in the office, went up sort of half a dozen stairs up into the office, and they said, well, the trouble is if we have a cyclone, this office is underwater, so your boat's not going to be safe unless you bring it inland and bury it type thing. And we were like, well, we're probably not going to do that. <laughs> wow. So think, yeah, like, you know, bury the keel so it's sort of stable. We just went, oh, we just can't risk it. You know, it was our home. It was everything we owned. Mm. Everything we owned was on that boat. So we just went, we're not risking that. And um, so we just decided to continue on. But just the memory of that place, Noel rescued a dinghy. There was in the little anchorage area one morning he got up and there was this dinghy sort of heading out towards sea on its own just with the wind. And he jumped in our dinghy and went and rescued it and tied it up. And it was a local, so we just tied it on with the local area. And that day we were actually invited to church. We're not really religious people but you know it was lovely to be invited in to to be part of the culture and the singing and so we went went there and as we were waiting to go in this big islander comes bundling up to Noel and says who found my dinghy who found it was it you was it you and it was quite quite gruff and we're like oh and Noel sort of said oh it was me thinking oh no what have I done and this guy just sort of grabbed him and shook his hand and said, thank you so much. That's my livelihood. You don't know how much you've saved me. I'm going to bring you a gift later. And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, it's just what we do. And uh, later on after church, we went back to a dinghy and it was just full of fruit and vegetables. Just absolutely full of local produce. And, you know, we shared it with everyone in the anchorage. It was far too much for us. But, you know, just, just lovely people, grateful for... You know, just a hand here and there, and yeah, I have, I miss that. Beautiful story. What a beautiful story. Mm. Tell me about the moment you decided you were going to go home. Where were you, and what made you decide that that you were going to stop? Well, before we left Australia, we were like sailing up and down the east coast. It's one of the, one of the hardest places to sail. Big landmass heating up and cooling down, creating all these varying winds and these big currents, and we couldn't understand how people got away. And what we found was once you get away from this landmass, it actually gets easier. And while we thought it would be nice to have that achievement and be able to do it, we just sort of took it step by step. The one thing I remember Noel saying was when we got to England, we were in St Catherine's Dock for a while, so that's right in the heart of um, London, and you know, near Tower Bridge, and we sort of cut it into there, and you go in a lock, and it takes you up into the marina, and Noel looked behind him and saw the locked doors close and he said, my heart just fell. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, that was 
the end of going forward now we were returning when we left here we were heading home whereas before we weren't and that struck me that may be a moment when we realized that once we left there it was heading home and I think for us well we spent two years in England working to get money together and I think we did think about carrying on if we didn't sell the boat I think we were going to head off to Thailand again and renew sales and stuff. But I think we just always knew we were heading back, and I'm sure economics came into it as well. You know, eventually the, the itch got us again and we wanted to see other areas in the Pacific, which is, which is what we did on the next boat. We worked for a couple of years, got our qualifications, then started teaching that qualification, and then we, then we a second boat we brought in San Francisco and we did the Pacific again, but on a much more southerly route, so Easter Island and the Gambiers and um, Pitcairn. You got to places in the Pacific you hadn't been the time before. Yeah, yeah, there was some overlap, but, yeah, we wanted to go. Well, actually, it was Noel's, Noel's idea. That was his dream to go and see these places. I was sort of like, oh, well, well we could. Um, but, you know, you get wrapped up in it. And I thought, well, who am I to stop someone's dream of sailing to Easter Island, you know, and we could do it and, you know, why not? So we we had some friends in San Francisco and they said, well, come and stay with us while you look for boats. So we just sort of, you know, rented it out. We had a little house and we rented that out and sort of took off with a suitcase of boat gear and uh, sort of landed there and started looking for a boat. And, yeah, we were sort of getting a broker to show us around a boat and we'd turn up early and looked at it and said, like, don't bother coming. We, we won't, don't need to see any more of this boat. We know it's not for us. But just down, sort of under a bridge, and we peered under this bridge that was behind us, and there was this boat on the dock going, oh, that's a good boat. And our friends who were with are very resourceful. They were sailors. And uh, within 10 minutes, this guy had found who owned it, and it was for sale. And cut a long story short, after some negotiations, that was the boat we bought. And we spent three months in San Francisco getting a boat ready. It takes a while to get the boat set up how you want it and repair stuff and, you know, uh, blue water cruising sailing, you know, crossing oceans. There's certain things you've got to set up so you know you're, you're self-sufficient. So we spent a frantic three months doing that and we had to get out then because otherwise we'd be taxed. And then we just sort of spat ourselves out into the Pacific and off we went again. Just enjoyed the Pacific again. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was hard. It was it was hard. It was a bigger boat. It was a fiberglass boat, and uh, not as seaworthy as our first boat. I mean, still a good boat, but not seaworthy. And um, heading down into those latitudes, you know, we started off with really uh, no weather. You know, very calm, and then it just sort of took off. So big weather, big seas. You know, down in those sort of latitudes, and um, can get quite boisterous. So. We had some exciting events there, but we, you know, we coped and sailing into, just being lucky enough to step ashore on Easter Island, pick her, and sometimes there's there's nowhere protected to anchor, so you're actually rolling like mad. Um, there's no, you know, all the Pacific swell that you're sort of anchored in. We were lucky enough to do sort of short stops there, but some boats weren't so lucky because they couldn't, it was too rough to anchor. So they sort of done all those miles to visit these places and couldn't stop there, had to keep going. And then, of course, it was back home again and the start of some new adventures. Had the most extraordinary adventure for years and we we knew we were going to miss that, but we were also looking forward to having a shop in the same place each day. (laughs) 
<laughs> like it's fun, but you know, it can be quite tiring sometimes. <laughs> did you miss it when you got back to land? Did you miss all the travel? I, I did, and I do, and I, I don't. Um, it's, it's different things. Um, we sort of decided to we didn't know what to do with ourselves so we we actually didn't um got our commercial skipper ticket so we sort of got this experience going around the world and then we decided to study about how to drive a boat um wrong way round and that sort of led me to where i am now i suppose because it was an intensive course we lived on the boat in maria i went to maria tafe and um it was six weeks six days a week studying and piles of exams and and we just loved it it was great and um through that I ended up being asked to come back and teach it myself so um that was a very nice challenge for me so that's what we did so we didn't have time to miss it and we we had the boat for a while but then we sold her and brought a house so yes I did miss it and I'm I still miss it you know I go on to Women Who Sail Australia Facebook great page and I see the pictures of where I've been and I can smell it and I can you know if we get on a friend's boat if we get in a dinghy to get to the boat that feels like home to me that feels so familiar it's just what you do to get to your to your homes and you're still very heavily involved in in maritime stuff aren't you Yes, yeah, I've got a small training, maritime training business, so that keeps me very, very, very busy. It started uh, with uh, a big event um, that I was asked to present a navigation workshop, and I ended up doing that to 50 women, about 50 women in one group, and it went so well, we had a ball, I thought, oh, I'll do more of this. You know, a few years later, I have a bunch of courses I teach and most of my customers are, are recreational. You know, they just want the information to keep themselves safe. Um, so I do sort of things like navigation, weather, passage planning, marine radio, about, about to launch emergency procedures. So it's a, a biggie. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I represent um, Services New South Wales, the state maritime organisation, and I do recreational boat licence for small motorboats as well, so I do that locally. And so it's just sort of gone from strength to strength, and it keeps me, keeps me very, very busy. <laughs> That's all for this episode. There will be one more episode with Jackie and Noel as they explain how they swapped a yacht at sea for a barge in the canals of Europe fantastic adventure make sure you tune in i'm linda woods i'll see you next time